This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. We're going to get on to our next guest, Nicole Connolly, who's the head of ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance Investing, at Fidelity Investment. Nicole's been with the company for 18 years. She's been head of ESG Investing, and now she's leading efforts across asset managing, including helping to direct Fidelity's uh, investments in this area. So, Nicole, welcome to Dollars and Change. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's go ahead and dive right in and talk a little bit about um, your time at Fidelity and sort of how Fidelity got to, you know, ESG or impact investing. Great. So so I am currently heading up our ESG efforts at Fidelity, and I'm running uh, recently launched the Fidelity Women's Leadership mm-hmm. Fund. And I've been at Fidelity for 19 years. And half of that time has been spent analyzing companies across different sectors, different market caps, different asset classes. I've spent time on the high-yield debt side and in the equity side. And half of my career has been as a director of research on the equity team, where I manage different sector teams. And I also worked a lot on women's leadership initiatives and gender diversity initiatives, which I think helps me with my perspective in talking to the companies that we own in this fund uh, today. So... What does the sort of Fidelity Women's Leadership Fund, what what is it and what's it comprised of? Yeah, so this uh, fund is part of our larger ESG product roadmap that aims to deliver return with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the purpose in this case is paving the way for future female leaders while also helping women across all industries, all levels thrive in their career And we aim to do this while also delivering best-in-class performance to our shareholders. So this is a fund that would fit kind of squarely in the S or the social pillar in the ESG space. And so give us a little bit more detail around this. And I'm I'm thinking we were just speaking with Ann Tucker about um, how you can embed – impact into legal documents, contracts, prospectus, et cetera. So – how do you? How does a company get into that fund? What if I'm yeah. investing in that? What what kind of companies are are going to be in there, and why? Yep. So, so in developing this fund, we started with the the Russell three thousand. So these are the top three thousand companies in the U.S. And we looked for companies to meet one of the following criteria. So strong female representation in the C-suite. So looking for female leaders that are really driving the strategy and the vision of the company, um, that would be the C-suite component. The second piece is the governance piece. So looking for companies that have boards where at least a third of the board has female representation. And then the third piece, which I'm, I'm really excited about and I think is like a differentiated aspect of our fund, um, is this idea of looking for what diversity initiatives and policies are in place that show the company's, you know, true commitment and philosophy around gender diversity. So this would be things like monitoring the company's uh, gender pay gap. Um, is the company monitoring the year-over-year progress in the development, hiring, retaining, promotion of women? Um, are they providing a flexible work environment for their employees? Uh, do they have strong parental leave policies? So this third pillar 
Um, we have basically 20 different criteria that we assess to see what the company's diversity initiatives are. And I think this is a real differentiator for us. You know, when we look at the products that are out there, many of them are passive in this space. And so they, they look at the C-suite and they look at the governance piece, but I don't know that a lot of them are doing this third piece, which is really evaluating the company's commitment to a culture of inclusion and to helping women thrive in their career. All right, um, and, Nicole, I'm, yes, I'm taking, yes. I'm both taking a big sigh of relief as yes. well as kind of getting excited because oh, I was a little worried we were going to, we, we do a lot of work in gender lens investing at the Wharton Social yes. Impact Initiative. We've yes. talked about it on this show. And, you know, we've specifically looked at women on boards, women in the C-suite. We've looked at what how that correlates to financial performance. And, you know, I, I, we're worried about products in the marketplace, um, yeah. you know, public and private, really, uh, in, in that. And um, hearing that third pillar, diversity, in, inclusion, policies, pay gap, it sounds like you're hitting on things that are important to improving or being good employers for women, uh, you know, and all of that. So, Cheryl, I'm going to let you jump in, but like, I'm just relieved to hear that you're looking at that, but it can't be easy either. Well, and I was just going to go to the can't be easy point. The the advantage of the C-suite and the boards is that really easy to get that information. Measurable. Yeah, exactly. So how... How are you getting this information? Sending little corporate spies into the company to figure this <laughs> yeah, out? Or? Right, right. Well, we have an amazing ESG team here, and I think that's the, the power that we bring as an active manager. And um, one woman in particular, Jessica Bayless, uh, is helping me on the ESG team. She's been a phenomenal resource for us. And we look at you know, we look at corporate sustainability reports, we have access to management, we have access to people on the sustainability team at the company. So a lot of our work is around um, meeting with a, a company's ESG team or their head of diversity. So we get a lot of information through those conversations. Um, so we, uh, you know, uh, Glassdoor is a great resource. Um, Fairy Godboss in her site. These yeah. are all resources that we use to try to assess, um, you know, different elements of a company's uh, diversity approach. So you said you started with Russell 3000 companies and, you know, these are the criteria. So some were in, some were out. And, yeah. um, and yeah. thinking about, you know, that pro- could limit your investable universe on that front. Um, but also thinking about what's driving you know, creating such a product in the first place? So we got to 700 companies that met at least one of the criteria. So we were pretty excited about that because these companies exist across all sectors. I mean, we were able to find these companies in consumer discretionary, tech, real estate, industrials, utilities. I mean, these companies that are committed to female leadership, they exist across the market. So that Sounds good for diversification. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, because of that, I feel like this fund can play, you know, the central role in somebody's equity um, exposure. And the, the universe is only growing. I mean, when I did this work a year ago, um, I was doing it on, uh, I have four kids under, under seven. So, and Whoa. I still had my full-time jobs, um, <laughs> as a director of research. So I was doing it during nap times and early mornings. And when I did it myself at that time, there were 500 companies that met at least one of the criteria and now there's 700. And so I think that the universe is growing rapidly. You know, you have companies like 
Amazon that are adding, you know, they just added Indra Nui, who's the former CEO of Pepsi, to the board uh, a couple months ago. So you're seeing companies really start to make some progress on diversity. Um, so the universe is growing. And I forget your second question. I'm sorry. Well, I wanna, I'll get back to that second question yeah. in, a, in a moment. But as a follow-up to what you just said, you know, are companies doing this at their own volition? Or is a place like Fidelity, you know, are you actively engaging them, you know, by working with management or even through proxy voting? Yes. So we um, we are using our voice in certain areas within the ESG space, and that is in um, climate change, so supporting proposals around um, emissions reporting, supporting proposals around two-degree scenario analysis, and then we're also using our voice on board diversity, on gender pay gap initiatives. So we're talking to companies about these shareholder proposals and what we would like to see. You're listening to dollars. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I'm just reminding our listeners that they're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School and that we are speaking with you, Nicole, Nicole Connolly, who's the head of ESG investing at Fidelity Investments. Yeah. And so, Nicole, I think you you were bringing up the ways that you can be uh, influential with companies to sort of push them in the direction that you want them to go. I'm still thinking a little bit about your three characteristics, the C-suite boards and then these diversity initiatives and policies, et cetera. Would you say that a majority of the funds in in your, your fund right now, our, our companies in the fund right now are really focused on the C-suite and the board? So I, I actually think um, tech is an interesting example uh-huh. there. I mean, tech came under a lot of scrutiny a couple years a ago. A whole lot, Not yeah. having a lot of female leadership and the culture that was at these pay tech differentials. companies. Pay differentials. Yeah. Pay differential, exactly. And what we see when we do our diversity uh, analysis and that third pillar is that they have come, a, that sector has come a long mm. way in adding um, things like a more flexible work environment, unconscious bias training, equal pay for equal work. Um, so, so I think these companies um, are doing it because they're in many, there's a business case for being a diverse company. If you're a company that's serving a diverse customer base, which most companies are, it's in your best interest to have an organization that reflects the diversity of that customer base so you can better meet the needs and innovate for those customers. And I think that's in part what leads to long-term outperformance. Well, then I think also, too, what the last years have shown us is, I think especially around the, uh, the diversity efforts, et cetera, is that there's a downside risk, you know, if you're if you're not careful. The Me Too movement showed yeah, what right. happens if you if you just ignore the culture and you don't pay attention to this and you, you know, slide harassment under the under the rugs. And so I think that there's certainly that upside, but there's absolutely a downside that people are realizing they have to protect themselves against. Yeah, we did a study just looking at how these more gender diverse companies perform over time. And we looked at 10 years of data with the help of Thomson Reuters. So Thomson Reuters has a lot of good data um, in, in gender diversity. And we looked at companies that had above average gender diversity in the C-suite, and they had at least two diversity policies in place, mm-hmm. whether that's kind of, uh, you know, diversity statement or childcare services on site. And those companies outperformed by close to 1% a year 
over the past 10 years. And that's, you know, before you even put any kind of active management overlay onto that. And so we feel like at the very least, you don't have to sacrifice performance to invest with impact, the impact being women's leadership in this case. And maybe there's, um, you know, most likely an alpha opportunity there. Well, and that goes to some of the research that we've done with Four for Women. You know, we tried to identify, again, what makes a good employer of women. Um, And, and, you know, we looked at similar criteria that you sort of would unpack, I think, in your third pillar, you know, uh, pay, you know, equal pay across the whole organization, you know, for the different levels of work. Good representation. Representation as well. Um, health and satisfaction. satisfaction. And, right. um, you know, some of those other policies, like maybe a, you know, maternity leave could also feed into, you know, health satisfaction. or satisfaction. Yep. So that's sort of how we think about it. But the data have been scarce, but it sounds like sort of maybe Thomson Reuters or the work that you're doing is sort of taking some of those factors and then seeing where the, the financial performance might lie too. So I would love to follow up on that, that piece because, yes. you know, that's what most people are still curious about. Yes, definitely. There's been some great work done in the space. Um, I think a lot of it is over a shorter time period right. because the data is just hard to get. Um, so we were pretty excited when we found the Thomson Reuters data because it does go back 10 years. Um, I mean, the other issue is that the sample size that you're working with, especially when you go back further in time, is just right. a small group of companies, right? And so um, I think, you know, we're like I said, we're only seeing the universe increase and that we'll have even more data to work with so, as we go forward. And how are you finding uh, the, the client interest in this? Is there a big demand for um, values-based investing in different ways? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the exciting things about ESG generally is when we survey our retail investors, we found that 70% of investors under 40 wanted to invest with purpose or invest with impact. And then 80% of women wanted to invest with impact. And so when you think of kind of the, the massive wealth transfer we expect over the next three decades, that wealth is going to, you know, millennials and Gen Z and women. And so, and those are the people that are all interested in investing with purpose. So, you know, we're excited to kind of provide some products to the market to serve the needs of those customers. And I think another thing that's been really rewarding for me personally is when I talk about this fund, the number of uh, men that come up to me and say, you know, I'm investing in this fund on behalf of my daughter so that she can learn about the power of investing so that she can see these female role models in your fund, like that's been very inspiring. Um, there was a woman that we had at our, uh, lo- so we had a launch party internally for the fund, and there's just so much excitement internally, which is just amazing. And it was, uh, the launch party was thrown by our women's leadership group here, which is a great organization. And a woman came up to me a few days after the party, and she said, I was so inspired by the work that Fidelity is doing with this fund, by the women that are in this fund, that she went out and she got a public speaking coach. And now she's going to tell the story about how she came to Fidelity from Indonesia and she wants the skills to advance her own career. And so, so it's just this fund is working in really interesting ways and I just feel really blessed to be part of it. And so just in the last couple of minutes that we do have here, um, you mentioned some climate change uh, issues earlier, and then, of course, we're talking about women's leadership with this fund. 
what are, are are those the two dominant sort of impact areas where you're seeing client interest? And, you know, is that where you're hoping to develop products? Or are there other sort of impact areas that are popping up on your radar? Yeah, so I think the environment and gender equality are two areas that we're pretty excited about. Um, I mean, we hope, we kind of um, have been looking at the growth in thematic products more broadly and think that can be really interesting. I mean, that's a space that's seen a lot of asset growth. So, um, so we hope to be providing more products in this space. And I, I do think that they would be um, more heavy on the environmental side of things. And you mentioned retail investors specifically, which, you know, many, if not most of our listeners are probably, they fall in that category. What would you encourage that they look for with um, their types, with their investments if they want to invest this way? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, we're kind of, we were talking about it before, but $100 billion in assets was repurposed into ESG funds last year, according wow. to Morningstar. I know, it's a, a wow. massive amount. And some of these funds were experiencing outflows in the prior five years. And so I think we, investors just have to be careful when they're investing in a fund that there is truly some kind of ESG process happening under the hood, that they're investing with an asset manager that understands the ESG risks and opportunities in their funds, in their companies, because there is a little bit of um, greenwashing going on where you know firms might be trying to breathe new life into a fund by relabeling it yep. an ESG fund. Well, and it, it reminds us of Antetra's comments, yep. too. So we were talking about private equity in on the first segment, but now really thinking about how you can try to have some more assurance around impact criteria, even in public equities um, and, and sort of maybe even fixed income. But thank you so much. We've been speaking with Nicole Connolly, who is the head of ESG investing at Fidelity Investments. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, email us businessradio at SiriusXM.com and be sure to follow us on our show on Twitter at bizradio132 and at Wharton Social. Once again, thanks to program director Patty Hall, my co-host Cheryl Kuhlman, sound engineer, well, associate producer Dion Simpkins, and our producer Matt Datz. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 